0: Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. It's the morning, and a popular author and psychologist, Brene Brown, is in her kitchen. She's wearing white slacks and a pink sweater, and she's drinking a big mug of coffee, a very full mug of coffee, when smash! The mug slips from her hands and hits the tile floor. It shatters and coffee splashes everywhere, all over Brene's white slacks. As she looks down at her stained clothes, she cries, damn you, Steve. Steve is her husband. A millisecond after the mug slipped from her hands, Brene knew it was Steve's fault. And she tells us why. The night before, Steve went to play water polo with some of his friends. Before he left, I said, hey, try to be home by 10 because you know I can't sleep until I know you are home. He got back at 10.30, so I went to bed a little later than I had planned, ergo my second cup of coffee that I probably would not have had to have if Steve had gotten home at 10 like we discussed. Therefore, damn you, Steve. How many of us go to that place where when something bad happens, we want to know whose fault it is? I would rather it be my fault. Then nobody's fault. Why? Because it gives us a sense of control. With this story, Brene identifies herself as a blamer. A blamer quickly assigns blame to move through the discomfort that comes when things go wrong. Brene's story of her spilled coffee is an excellent example of how quickly our minds can put together a story of blame, mere seconds after something goes wrong. As an outside audience, it's funny, right? It's funny to think that when the coffee spills, Brene's first instinct is to blame her husband who is off at work, far away from her and her coffee. And it's funny because it is relatable. It's hard to go through life and sometimes even a day without creating a ridiculous blame narrative to quickly make sense of a situation. Sometimes the blame falls on another person. Sometimes the blame falls on ourselves. Either way, it's hard to prevent this reaction. We crave the satisfaction of understanding why things happen. If you're listening right now and thinking, ugh, it's my fault, I'm the ultimate blamer, or if you're listening and thinking, well, I don't do that, but I know about five people who do, I invite you to pause, take a breath with me. It's not just you, it's not just them, We are all blamers. Brene goes on to say, here's what we know from the research. Blame is simply the discharging of discomfort and pain. It has an inverse relationship with accountability. Accountability by definition is a vulnerable process. It means me calling you and saying, hey, my feelings were really hurt by this and talking it out. It's not blaming. Blaming is simply a way that we discharge anger. Blaming is corrosive in relationships, and it's one of the reasons we miss opportunities for empathy. The instinct to blame is closely related to our desire to make meaning of suffering and to cope with our lack of control. When there is blame, there is a reason, there is causality, and we can understand what happened, or at least so we like to think. We also crave an explanation that validates what we most want to be purely good. Whether that is ourselves, someone else, or a higher power. When we blame someone else, we are still good. When we blame ourselves, our loved ones, and our higher power are still good. We don't need to be ashamed of this. It is something we all experience and yet it is important for us to be mindful of blame when it arises, to notice, as Brene reminds us, if we are missing an opportunity for accountability. Accountability is the fact of being responsible for what you do and able to give a satisfactory reason for it. Most of us strive to do no harm and to prove our inherent goodness. So it can trigger an immense amount of shame when we admit that we are responsible for doing something that has indeed indeed caused harm or failed. As Unitarian Universalists, we believe in the transformative power of love. Love needs us to be accountable for our actions. This is the blessing and the challenge of our faith, to love one another, to be willing to move past our shame and be honest about our feelings and the impact of our actions. When the motivation is love, accountability is not a punishment, but a bridge of connection. These are not new spiritual concepts for us here at Arlington Street Church. If you've been tuning in this summer, you've heard many members of our community preach the virtues of accountability, vulnerability, trust, empathy, and above all else, love. These are the virtues that guide us in our spiritual work to cultivate our beloved community and to seek justice in our world. We need to be mindful of the moments when we blame so we don't miss an opportunity to choose accountability and love instead. Blame can happen in the little daily moments when we spill coffee or miss the bus, and it also comes up in times of serious crisis. A few months ago, I went to visit a woman in her later 60s who was recovering from surgery. She told me that after the surgery, everything seemed fine. Then all of a sudden, she began to experience acute pain Her suffering was so sharp and overwhelming. She looked at me and said, I know this is ridiculous, but when I was in pain, all I could think was, am I really such a bad little girl that I deserve this? At the hospital, I meet with people who are struggling to make sense of pain, illness, and grief over and over again, that same question, is it my fault? What did I do wrong? Am I really so bad that I deserve this? I sit with these patients and listen to them describe all the ways that their cancer, their heart failure, their depression, their COVID-19 infections are completely their fault. I hear in their voices a longing for accountability for a satisfactory reason for their pain. There are times when our actions contribute to illnesses, but I can say with certainty that most of the time, it is not our fault. As a Unitarian Universalist, I do not believe that this is a satisfactory reason for our suffering. I do not believe that the suffering caused by illness is a consequence of poor moral character. Sometimes I wish it were so that the many kind, loving, and good people I meet in the hospital would not suffer so greatly. Sometimes accountability feels impossible because there's no satisfactory reason for what has occurred. In these moments, blame feels like all we have to make sense of our suffering. Earlier this summer, a friend and I visited the Dogtown Commons in Gloucester, Massachusetts. Dogtown was a settlement founded in 1693. Once a safe haven from pirates and invaders, the inland Dogtown Commons was abandoned in 1830 as settlers moved closer to the sea coast to work in the fishing industry. In the early 20th century, wealthy philanthropist Roger Babson bought the commons, which by then was mostly overgrown wilderness, with only a few remnants of the old colonial settlement remaining. Wandering through Dogtown Commons, my friend and I were curious about Babson. After a quick Google search, we learned that Babson founded four colleges, including Babson College. He invented the parking meter, and he ran for president of the United States as a member of the Prohibition Party. He was certainly a very educated and brilliant man. But what my friend and I found to be most interesting was that Babson was a founding member of the Gravity Research Foundation, which worked to find a way to block the power of gravity. In an essay describing his aspirations for the foundation, Babson declared that gravity was enemy number one. That's right, gravity, the natural phenomenon that holds our world together was enemy number one. This sounds a bit eccentric, right? Maybe a little far-fetched, like blaming Steve for the spilled coffee? Gravity was Babson's enemy because he blamed gravity for one of the most heartbreaking moments of his life, the death of his sister. When Babson was a child, his sister drowned. He writes, she was unable to fight gravity which came up and seized her like a dragon and brought her to the bottom. His grief was so consuming that he had to blame something. It was too painful to believe that his sister could die for no reason. Along with blaming ourselves and each other, we blame powerful forces that are beyond us. We blame God, the universe, the devil, our ancestors, and even gravity. In our discomfort and distress finding anything that can be held responsible for our suffering is better than nothing because it gives us a sense of understanding which restores in us some feeling of control. While this may initially be satisfying. Ultimately, it can lead to feelings of apathy demoralization and isolation, which are the opposites of love. Our faith calls on us to move toward love in these moments, not away from it. It calls on us to take responsibility for our actions and our feelings, which are within our control. It calls on us to move beyond shame and our fear of being bad. And it also calls on us to accept the scary but nonetheless real fact that there is simply so much in this world that we cannot and do not control. Moving toward love means holding each other and ourselves and the painful mystery of our suffering being together in the unknown. Right now, we are in the midst of overwhelming grief and crisis in our country and our world. The desire to blame is very strong and very real. Most of us have spent the last five anxious and tense months in a small quarantine bubble, cut off from many of the people and activities that usually help us cope with anxiety and stress. And daily, we are witnessing people who are acting recklessly in ways that kill. We are living in a country that values white comfort over Black lives and needs to be held accountable. In this time, there are so many heavy questions on our hearts about our own suffering and the suffering of others. Developing an awareness of blame as a a reaction to discomfort, pain, and anger will help us to notice when we have an opportunity to love. It's not about letting one another off the hook when something goes wrong, but rather, when something does, choosing accountability and love over blame and fear. It's about having the nuance to recognize what it is that lies within the bounds of our control and the control of others, and what, like the powerful force of gravity, simply does not. It's about resisting overly easy, single-cause answers to some of life's most challenging and painful questions. And it's about being willing to sit in grief, and in anger, in mystery, and in wonder, marveling at the complexity of it all. One of my colleagues shared this story with me, and I want to share it with all of you. She was called to visit a Catholic priest who was very sick. She asked him, Father, would you like me to pray for you? He smiled and said, I've had one prayer my entire life. And what is your prayer? my coworker asked. He replied, to be more loving. As we move towards autumn filled with fear and hope, I pray that I will choose to be more loving. I pray that we will all choose to be more loving with each other, with ourselves, and with our one precious world. May it be so. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear from you via email at office-